You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 39. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show will inspire you, change your mindset, and help you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. Find me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ashley Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. So this episode is meant to be a follow-up episode to last week's episode, which I just need to reiterate how anxious I was recording that episode. I don't know if you guys could tell, but I worked through it and just kind of like spoke through it, talked through through it, which is the same thing. Um, but thank you so much for your feedback about the episode. Many of you told me it was your favorite one so far. And I really wanted to spend that episode just kind of like focusing on my story and kind of what I had been through. I didn't speak much about the definition of anxiety or like what actually happens in the brain. Um, and what happens with our neurotransmitters and the literal anatomy of our brains, like the science stuff and things like that. I really just focused on my own experiences and a short list of things that have helped me. And in this episode, I'm going to dive a little bit into the science about all of that stuff. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the ways that you can feel better naturally, which are things that I do also. Like I said in the episode prior to this one, I am on medication right now and I have been for almost two years and I find that it really helps me. And I want to reiterate that that episode and me saying that about medication isn't to tell you to just go jump the gun and start medication. It really isn't about that. I really went into depth about how I had been trying basically my whole life and like pretty much had dedicated like two or three years of my life trying to feel better. And I did feel a little bit better, but I really was not feeling as good as I knew I could. And I really felt in my heart that it was just the way that I'm wired at the moment. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hear a lot of people talk about anxiety and depression and many people do not agree with taking medication ever, especially if you are in the holistic realm, which I am. I really believe in whole body, mind, spirit, integration, and wellness. I don't think that you can have one without the other, um, especially if you're somebody who feels deeply and you know, maybe feels a bigger purpose for themselves. Um, the way your body feels affects the way your mind feels, and then the spirit you know, is kind of the foundation for it all. So I wanted to share my own experience because I felt a lot of shame around it 
and because of that, I would feel worse when all of these quote unquote holistic remedies just didn't make me feel better. Um, and on, at the same time, I want to say that it's not a quick fix just to take the medication. Um, you should still try the other things too, and really dedicate yourself, um, you know, not obsessively, but maybe putting in some effort to try to feel better with these really simple things that you can do. And if that doesn't work, then medication can be an avenue for you. So I just wanted to make sure that that came across very clearly. Uh, I thought about it long and hard. I consulted many doctors, um, and ultimately I found that that is what is best for me. And I don't know if it's going to be a forever thing. I still work hard to kind of do my holistic remedies and I find that they are an amazing complement to the medicine, but this is where I am right now. And hopefully with, you know, boosting my neurotransmitters and doing things for my brain, eventually I won't have to be on it, but I'm open to whatever outcome that makes me feel better. And that's really what this whole journey is about. It's about self-love and self-care and having awareness and the relationship that you have to your own anxiety and depression. If those are things that you feel for a long time, as I said in the past episode, I felt shame about my own anxiety. Like, why do I feel this way when I have a great life, when I have an amazing partner, when I have a great family and I grew up without any worries? I grew up living very fortunately and I never took that for granted, but feeling depressed and anxious. And having other people tell me to just think positively or like you have everything that you need, you have a working body, you have a working brain. So many people don't have those things like the mere basics and you have all these things on top of them. And I still felt like shit. It just really was difficult for me to accept that as part of who I am. Um, But in doing so, I changed my own relationship to my anxiety. I really found a way to work with it and to notice when it was coming up and to just really have a heightened level of awareness in my life. And it is not um, something that holds me back anymore. It is not something that I have shame about. Um, I know, like I said in the past episode, that it's something that really helps me be more creative and be more uh, introspective and deep and be able to think philosophically and all these things. And, um, you know, it's just in finding my own acceptance of it, I've really been able to accept myself and it's really been a lifetime journey of doing that. But it's another level to talk really openly about it, which is not something that I am used to doing um, you know, outside of like a few very small group of trusted people. And here I am talking about it on the podcast because I want you to know all of these different things. And I want you to know that you're not alone if you are going through this, especially if you're like in the health and fitness world and you believe in holistic remedies and things like that. Um, I just wanted to be a voice to talk about these different things and to make you become aware of it. So in this episode, like I said, I'm going to go really just give like a light overview of the science. Once I started researching for this episode, I was super overwhelmed with the amount of information that there is out there, conflicting messages, um, 
you know, just deep into biochemistry and I'm not going to go super deep into it. I think if I can just speak about it simply, which is kind of the way that I like to work, just take things that are really complicated and make them simple without a lot of fluff, like kind of just making them lean and tight and, um, you know, just give you kind of the basic information. Um, there are a couple books I'm going to recommend towards the end that goes even deeper into it. Um, and I do think it's important to kind of become aware of like, what's actually happening in the brain? What's going on with my neurotransmitters? Why am I feeling this way? Is it genetic? Is it environmental? Is it, um, you know, where's all of this coming from? So by knowing these things and having the awareness about them, we can really decipher our own, um, things that are happening in our own heads. So anxiety disorders are a set of related mental conditions that include a bunch of different things. And like I said, in the other episode, there's a whole big spectrum. So we have generalized anxiety disorder, which is what I suffer from. We have panic disorder when you feel panic or have panic attacks, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, where you become obsessed and compulsive. Obviously that's in the name with doing certain acts or behaviors. So many different things are encompassed there too. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, where you develop that after certain trauma, which I know many people suffer from that as well. Uh, social phobia, going out in public and talking to people and simple phobias, being scared of crossing a bridge or, you know, driving in a car or going on an airplane. So there's so many different things, um, that we could suffer from in this whole big spectrum. But what really diff makes these, um, makes these uh, different sorts of disorders different is the symptoms and the severity of the symptoms. So you can have a bunch of them, you can have one, and they differ in their intensity. And I like talking about this uh, because I talk about food, because our food things, if we are somebody who has struggled with our food for our lives, which is so many of us, it can come down to these things as well. If you've had a trauma, if you have OCD, if you feel panic, if you feel anxious and depressed, I always say that it's never about the food. So the food is just a natural using food as a vehicle to feel better or to quell your anxiety or your depression is just a human response to the actual cause. The food is the symptom of what we are actually going through, the root cause, which is why I think it is so important to talk about like trauma and all of these mental health things. Because if we struggle with our food, it is not about the food. The food is something that we have learned to use to deal with these things. So we can't talk about food without talking about um, what's happened to us in the past without our emotions, which is why I you know, people come to me with wanting a meal plan and things like that. And I'm like, I can't just give you numbers that it's doing a big disservice. We have to do the work to dive into all of these things to see what is actually going on. You can't just hit the surface and expect to heal your relationship with food. It can take many years. It can take months. Everybody is different. There's not a timeline. It's not going to happen in 30 days, but it is imperative you if you are somebody who is interested in healing your relationship with food for a lifetime to dive into these things to become aware and do some work and put some effort into it because if you do um 
even for a short period of time, then your food stuff will transform into something different and something much more manageable. It can be a doorway in which you can be open to your own amazing transformation. So that's really putting a positive spin on it. And that's really what I want to do for all of you that listen to this show. And I want you to know how important it is to get curious about what's going on with you and how what has happened to you in the past and your own experiences and beliefs color your food stuff or your exercise stuff, your body stuff, whatever you are dealing with. It could be anything. It usually comes down to these things. So going back to the science, just a little caveat about how it all uh, overlaps and relates, but anxiety is really defined just as feelings of worry, nervousness, or fear about an event or situation that could yield an unpleasant outcome, uh, such as many different things, such as going for a job interview or a test or moving or starting a new uh, habit or something, or even going to somebody's house. Again, it could be any. Uh, of these things that I talked about before, but we feel that nervousness, we feel a fear about uh, different things, and these manifest in our bodies. So it's basically the thought that then creates these things in our bodies. Um, And generally, anxiety and depression is thought to be uh, treated with psychotherapy, you know, typical talk therapy, um, and medication. But I really think that there's a lot that we can do, uh, not just in those areas. I think that that's doing a disservice to people to just say that you can do only those things. There's a whole lot involved here and you can learn so much about yourself, um, by delving into these things. We can also look at the actual structure of the brain and specifically for, uh, depression and anxiety. Um, we, it's to be thought that it might largely result from chemical imbalances in the brain's limbic system. So the limbic system is a ring of structures, basically a complex system of nerves and networks in the brain having to do with instinct and mood. So these include the different structures of the cerebral cortex, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, and the hippocampus. Um, that appears to be at the seat of human emotions, such as depression, fear, pleasure, anger, and rage, and different drives or the instincts as hunger, sex, dominance, or the care of your offspring. So this is really looking at ourselves from like a primitive level from, you know, just viewing ourselves as anatomy and having stuff happening in the brain. And that's honestly what I think is happening or what has happened and what has affected me my whole life is I think that my chemical imbalances in my brain just are not, um, as you know, they're made in a way so that I experience these things. Um, two structures that I want to talk about quickly are the hippocampus and the hypothalamus, because these relate to our emotions and the things that we feel, um, which again, anxiety and depression are both a mind and body thing. Um, so the hippocampus plays an important role, um, in short-term memory and long-term memory and in spatial memory. So it really enables the navigation of our memories, our decision-making and emotional responses, including fear, anxiety, and aggression. Um, the amygdala is also thought 
to be part of the limbic system. That's really like um, the primitive part of the brain that makes those decisions really quickly, the fight or flight and things like that. Um, but the hippocampus is where the memories are stored and what we interpret from those memories, which is why, like, if we've had a certain trauma when it comes to food, if, um, you know, something has happened to us that has made us use food as a vehicle to feel better, um, the hippocampus is where the emotions and the memories are stored and also the connections between them. Uh, the other one is the hypothalamus. Um, again, it is linked to the nervous system, or not again, I haven't said it yet, uh, the nervous system, which is a series of nerves in the body. Um, just a quick uh, overview of the nervous system or the CNS, the central nervous system. It's something that is involved in both exercise and in our actual emotions and our bodies. The nervous system is a series of nerves throughout the body. So in exercise, we fire, quote unquote, fire the nervous system to build muscle. That is why lifting heavy weights is good because it does good things for the nervous system. And it also um, is responsible for, let's say you have an emotion and you feel stressed, that is ramping up the nervous system and getting you all like, oh, you know, that feeling that you feel when you're like really stressed out, that is the nervous system getting fired up emotionally. And then we do things like deep breathing, yoga, meditation to calm the nervous system. Uh, and it's also the hippocampus is involved with the endocrine system, which is the series of hormones that we have in our body. So hormones are basically like little tiny messengers that um, send signals to different parts of the bodies, to ourselves, to do certain things. So for example, we have certain hormones involved in our blood sugar. We have hormones that tell um, you know, our blood sugar to rise if there is, um, or to lower, let's say we eat a lot of carbohydrates, um, then hormones come in to lower our blood sugar response. That's just one example. There's many different hormones involved in the bodies for, in our bodies for so many different things. Um, but the hypothalamus regulates the nervous system and the endocrine system through the pituitary gland. And the hypothalamus is responsible for the regulation of certain metabolic processes and other activities of the automatic nervous, autonomic nervous system. So that's the limbic system. Again, this is just like a really uh, high level overview to just be aware of kind of what's going on. I will work to have somebody on that can come to talk about us, talk, talk about us, talk to us about these things um, who can give us you know, a perspective from somebody who's an expert. Um, that sentence didn't make sense, <laughs> but I would love to have somebody come on who can talk to us about these things. So when we think of depression and anxiety, depression can also affect the endocrine system that I just talked about. Um, a series and a network of glands that regulates the body functions by releasing various hormones into the bloodstream. Um, we can get different disorders from this. Uh, seasonal affective disorder is actually a result of um, dysregulation of hormones in the endocrine system, uh, specifically melatonin by the pineal gland during winter. So if you have these things, let's say you live in a climate where it's really cold and you don't see the sun, seasonal affect disorder is actually a thing and it's regulated by the hormones. Um, so that's just one example, but we also have different neurotransmitters 
that are, uh, you know, in the brain and certain levels of them affect whether or not we feel anxious or depressed. The one that is most commonly talked about is serotonin. Um, and it is definitely the most well-known anxiety related neurotransmitter, uh, low levels of serotonin is linked to both anxiety and depression. So, um, and lower unbalanced levels can occur genetically, um, or they can be created by our emotions or by our external influences. So that's why this can both be a genetic thing that we have been handed down from our families by our genes, or it can be something that is a learned response by our emotions, ways that we have learned to cope with the way that we feel. The brain actually fires um, these neurotransmitters and lower levels of them is linked, like I said, to um, anxiety and depression. So therapy... Um, other mental health techniques can increase natural uh, serotonin levels and SSRIs, which are um, selective serotonin reactive inhibitors, are a type of medication that raise serotonin levels. But I'm going to talk briefly in a second about uh, four different types of medications that are most commonly prescribed. So some medications specifically improve serotonin flow and find a profound reduction in anxiety. So that's usually the most common thing. Um, There are ways to boost serotonin naturally, which I kind of talked about at the end of the first episode of this series, and I'm going to be talking about it um, towards the end of this episode. So gamma aminobutyric acid, or GABA, um, is a very important neurotransmitter when it comes to anxiety. And actually, GABA has a strong association with the development of mood disorders. um, So it appears to have an effect on emotions. And GABA, you can actually take in supplement form, um, which has mood boosting qualities, but low levels of GABA um, are related to anxiety, to low mood, to low emotions, um, and also depression. Next, we have um, norepinephrine. And this is one of the neurotransmitters that is released when he, when we get ourselves like stressed out, when the CNS is, um, you know, like really revved up because we are stressed out. Um, adrenaline and energy is pumped throughout your body when you're stressed or anxious. And then we feel physiological symptoms or body symptoms like rapid heartbeats, sweating, um, just general feelings of anxiety. And what happens is that these neurotransmitters can become overactive and we can have an abundance of them. And that can actually just kind of rewire our brain in a certain way. Again, when something happens, when we have a trauma, when we have something that has happened to us in the past, our brain will associate that um, memory or that link to a certain event that happened in the past, whether it's through a smell or a song or because you just thought of it, and then it will bring on the physiological responses to that. So isn't that crazy? Like the body's just insane um, and super wise and 
cool in a sense. Uh, The last one that I'm going to talk about is dopamine. And dopamine is basically the pleasure neurotransmitter. So this is why we are addicted uh, to our phones or addicted to eating certain foods, which I say that um, not in an actual addiction sense. You guys kind of know how I feel about quote unquote food addiction, but um, dopamine is the addiction uh, neurotransmitter. Um, People with social anxiety can also have low levels of dopamine, but the reason that we turn to sugar or we turn to um, a certain food that gives us that pleasure response, whether it is sex or gambling, um, those things aren't foods, but it doesn't matter what we turn to, to get that hit of dopamine. But what matters is that we are actually turning to something to get that hit of dopamine, that hit of pleasure, which is not good for the long run. Dopamine only works in the short term. So, Ooh, let me just get this thing right now. Let me gamble. Let me go have sex. Let me go eat the sugar. Let me go have some alcohol. Let me look at my phone just one more time (laughs) to see what else has happened in the last three minutes. Um, you know, these little things that we do in order to get that hit of dopamine, um, is also involved with anxiety because the more we do these things, the less the effect that dopamine has on us. So we do need larger amounts of these things in order for it to continue working for us. So that is why um, firing off dopamine is not a strategy for the long term. It's really a short term strategy because we actually end up feeling worse afterwards. We know how we feel, let's say after a binge or something, the dopamine is firing in that sense. Um, Again, that was just a really quick overview. I want to go over the four types of medications just super quickly. Um, We have SSRIs, like I talked about, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. These are antidepressants, anti-anxieties. So these are Prozac, which is what I'm on, Zoloft, Paxil, Lexapro. Um, They're used to treat generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, panic, social anxiety disorder, and PTSD. These are not super addictive like the benzos or the benzodiazepines. Um, did not say that, did not say that well, but we see people getting addicted to the benzos because these are the most widely prescribed medication for anxiety. They work super quick. They bring relief usually within 30 minutes to an hour And they're very effective uh, when taken during a panic attack or having general episode of panic or another anxiety episode. Um, And they can be really physically addictive. That's why we can hear so many people getting addicted to Xanax and Clonopin and those things because they work really quickly and because they're basically a tranquilizer. So they just kind of make you feel like, (laughs) I don't know what that means exactly. I mean, if you just think of like, I used to take Xanax recreationally um, back like in my early 20s, and I just remember feeling like immediately groggy, immediately like turning into a puddle, um, which I do not recommend doing that. Um, These slow down the nervous system, so you relax physically and mentally, um, and it can have some unwanted side effects. The higher the dose, the more intense the side effects typically are but you can feel sleepy, foggy, and uncoordinated, even on low doses, which can cause problems in your daily life. So 
the next one. But again, you guys consult with your doctor, uh, with these things. The show is not meant to be, uh, a medical diagnosis or anything like that. It is meant to just give you information, but just take it and do what you will, uh, with it by seeing a doctor or a professional before you delve into this. Um, then we have, uh, Buspirone. Um, this is known by the name, by the brand name Boost Bar. It's a newer anti-anxiety drug that acts as a mild tranquilizer. Um, it relieves anxiety by increasing serotonin in the brain, um, just like SSRIs do, but it also decreases the dopamine in the brain. Uh, beta blockers are the last type, and those work to decrease the effect of norepinephrine, um, which is that stress hormone that goes off and the stress neurotransmitter. Um, there's really no emotion involved in this one. This is really just like physiological, um, you know, it's meant to decrease the amount of stress that you feel. Um, it's not again, really for like specific emotions. This is more like for phobias that those are prescribed for, but, um, those are basically, that's really as deep as I'm going to go into the science and into the, um, you know, the actual structures of the brain and the neurotransmitters. Um, because once we get deep into it, we just get really deep into it. And I think just having a simple explanation can really create that awareness. But the second part of this is really talking about the actual emotions that are happening and the actual things that happen in our brains. We have emotions that boil below the surface of, um, of our bodies and of ourselves when we don't actually allow ourselves to express these emotions. And that is something that can really cause more anxiety and more depression. And I'm sure many of you have gone through that. I've gone through that for most of my life when I was just like, nope, not going to feel this, just going to continue to stuff this down. I'm going to eat. I'm going to date people. I'm going to get obsessed with things. I'm going to do whatever I can to not feel these things, but it's actually through the feeling of the emotion and letting it pass through us that we begin to heal. So many people look down on emotions and they get upset at them, you know, which is twofold because you have the emotion and then you get upset over it or you feel shame over it. So these emotions and the bodily sensations that we feel because of them really reveal ourselves to ourselves. They let us know what's going on. They're kind of like an alarm system, like, Ooh, I might not like this, or this feels good to me. This doesn't feel good to me. So our emotions are really like, and the feelings that they produce are really like a compass and a guiding way for us to, um, to see what's going on and to become aware. And it points to what we need to do in our life to heal our heal our old wounds. All of us have old wounds. All of us have things that have happened to us in the past that we need to look back on so that they don't control us in our lives. And even though it feels difficult and unbearable to bring them to the surface, we can do so with the help of a therapist, with, you know, on our own, um, with a trusted loved one. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, but we as humans, we're designed to heal and to transform and to actually uh, change the structure of our brain so, um, and to change the neuroplasticity of the brain. So when we have certain beliefs, certain thoughts, certain connections through the limbic system, which we talked about at the beginning, these beliefs will actually cement pathways in our brain um, that become habit, that become habitual, that become just an automatic response to what is happening. But we can actually transform these to a certain extent for most people, uh, through meditation, 
through actively changing those beliefs, but it all comes down to awareness. And like I said in the beginning, this is really about uh, the relationship that we have to our anxiety. I think it's really important to have an inquiry practice so we can identify what is actually going on with ourselves. Usually like when we feel an emotion that we don't want, we just immediately do something. We're like, let me just go get rid of this instead of diving into it and sitting with it, which is where the real transformation begins. Um, At the end of the episode, I'm going to do a quick inquiry practice that comes from Janine Roth, who is one of my favorite authors ever probably my most favorite author, definitely around food, but by locating our emotions in our bodies and then describing them to ourselves, we really open up a whole new world. And when we're going through emotion, we can't thick, thick, we can't think our way through it. How many times have you been on the couch anxious? Like I think of almost like a cartoon character, like biting its nails, just like sitting there like, Oh, what do I do? Oh my God. And that just makes it worse. And I can't tell you how many times I have spent entire days in my bed or on the couch just trying to think my way through it, and that really just makes it worse. What we need to do is do actual actions to feel things viscerally in our bodies to feel better. Um, We have some core emotions that we feel, Um, and these are fear, anger, sadness, disgust, joy, excitement, Uh, and sexual excitement. And these are natural emotions that, you know, we don't have to be scared of. Uh, Obviously they're on a spectrum here, but it is normal to feel angry sometimes or to feel sadness or to feel, feel, feel fear or disgust. And then the other positive ones um, are also things that we can feel as well. But for many of us, we shy away from feeling the bad ones, or we think that we only need to feel the good ones, but by allowing ourselves to express certain um, negative emotions and actually allowing ourselves to feel them, uh, it actually becomes not... uh, Do you guys hear my stomach rumbling? (laughs) I'm actually really hungry. Um, By allowing ourselves to feel them, that they don't become as scary. And those are part of the human experience as well. So I really hate all of this like super positivity stuff, like never feel a negative emotion. Or if you feel a negative emotion, you're just going to call that negativity in your, into your life by not feeling it. We're going to make it worse. Um, so by feeling these things, we develop certain impulses, uh, and certain habits and immediate and adaptive calls to action from those actual things. So these are the impulse to eat, the impulse to go check your phone, the impulse to do whatever it is that you do um, instead of actually dealing with the emotion. Then we also have inhibitory emotions. So emotions like shame, guilt, and anxiety, which is where we block certain core emotions to get along with others or to maintain a habit of how we grew up. So we feel these inhibitory emotions like shame, like guilt and anxiety when we don't want to feel the other ones. Um, so this all really goes together, um, in a whole kind of triangle. This is inspired by the book. Um, is it really depression? I'm going to have to put it in the show notes. Um, but it's an amazing book, uh, that talks about this as a triangle. So when emotions are met with anything but interest and care, 
It signals to our brain that something dangerous is happening when we're met with a negative response and we'll do anything to prevent those emotions in the future. So this is even from ourselves, like when we feel these things and we're like, oh, can't feel it instead of being like compassionate and saying like, hey, like what's actually going on? Hmm, why am I feeling this thing? Or when we're children and we have a parent that, um, or a caretaker that tells us like, this is wrong, this is bad, when they're not interested or caring about it, um, it signals to our brain that it's bad and that creates um, different responses that we make up in order to deal with it. Um, And a break or disconnection with the caregiver um, is something that is experienced when the emotion is not accepted. So how many of you can relate to that? How many of you have had a difficult um, time with a caregiver or a parent because they haven't accepted you, accepted that. And that's been my own experience with my own parents at the beginning when they go into fix it mode and they're like, let me just fix it. We can't, we don't know what to do. Let's just do something or pay somebody to help us, um, with these things. So that's why it's so important, especially for me, as I think of like maybe having a child in the future, of how I'm going to respond to their emotions and, you know, doing my own work to deal with mine so I can accept theirs with open arms and, um, compassion because these are normal things that we all go through, but we develop the other emotions, the shame, guilt, and the anxiety to cover them up. And that's like, you know, a double whammy of negativity for ourselves. So when we have a certain experience in our life, information is brought in through our five senses. We can smell it, we can taste it, we can feel it, we can hear it. Um, I'm missing one. (laughs) But we know that things happen through the senses and then through our brains, we file them away for reference. So when something happens again, it's like, oh, this experience is is happening. You know, my CNS is going to get riled up or I'm going to feel depressed or anxious or whatever it is. Um, we feel the emotion, the physical sensation in our bodies, the images that we see, and then these turn into beliefs and the beliefs are really what drives us into and through our lives. And unless we actively work to change these beliefs, to become aware of how we are feeling, how we are thinking, what is actually happening in our bodies, we are going to stay with those beliefs forever because literally they're cemented in our brains. Um, we can take the nervous system and we can try to calm it through different techniques and by staying with the emotion, that is the most important thing by staying with it, by becoming compassionate towards it, we can, um, do different things to help ourselves with it. Um, and by avoiding it, we develop defenses, we develop habits or actions, those compulsions that we do, whether it's with food or anything else that I've been talking about, we develop these things to shield ourselves from these things. But I need you to know that you are strong enough to sustain whatever emotion is coming at you. You just have to be able to, and it's not easy. It isn't. So it's not like, la la la, like you just stay with the emotion. It is hard as you know what? (laughs) I don't know why I don't feel like saying that word right now, but it is hard to stay with those things. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that you can't do it if you don't want these beliefs to drive you for the rest of your life. So, um, these emotions are alarm systems and it's an, it's a form of protection to ourselves for not wanting to feel these things. Um, 
And I want you to know that by becoming aware of these things, by writing these things down, by knowing what is going on, we can actively transform ourselves. And that's what we're meant to do as humans. We've all gone through things, but, and it is not our fault what we have gone through and what has happened to us, but it is actually our responsibility to heal ourselves throughout these different things. So I want to touch on just a couple different holistic things that we can do to naturally boost serotonin, to naturally feel better that I did not talk about in the first episode. And that first one is sleep. I mean, how shitty do you feel when you don't sleep? Making sure to sleep in a dark and cold room is super important to get seven to nine hours of sleep. I do pretty well on seven, um, but that is something that you need to feel for yourself. Uh, The next one is getting sunlight or a bright light if you are in an area that you don't get a lot of sun. I make it a point to get outside every single day even if I don't want to, because the sun is healing. I take a walk in the sun. I put my face in the sun. I do wear a hat, but I make sure that my skin absorbs the healing properties of the sun. Um, I live in Miami, so it's like I get too much sun sometimes. Um, But that is something that has completely changed my world. I talked about movement last time as well. It's important to not do intense exercise all the time. Doing restorative activities like walking and restorative yoga is very important. And it's important too to get you know proper doses of good intense exercise that makes you sweat. That's good for me. Everybody is different. I'm going to be doing a whole episode about exercise and different types of movement that are good for you. But moving and depending on where you are in your journey, walking and doing your yoga is so important. Something too that's really good is breathing. So just literally taking one breath, just really deep breath that will help you get through these different things. And that'll put you back in the present moment and back into your body, which is the next thing. Um, that is amazing in order for you to start becoming aware of our emotions. Usually we're in our heads, but if we take a seat into the body, we can actually feel what is going on and we can name it and then we can do something about it. So we can get into the body by breathing, by doing yoga. I love Ashtanga yoga by stretching, by releasing different um, you know, areas of the body, specifically the, the groin or the hips. Usually sometimes like if I'm doing that, if I'm in frog pose for the groin, which is amazing. And I would suggest staying there for like five minutes, not intensely, just like sitting there and really opening up the groin area in frog pose slowly while you deep breathe. Um, and the hips through pigeon pose. Um, you can actually feel emotions come up. Emotions are stored in the body. I'm actually reading an amazing book about this called the body keeps the score. Uh, which I um, recommend to everybody. But by releasing those things, we do feel a lot better. Get a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, um, and spend you know 10 minutes a day really in your body, really feeling these different things. I also really love Reiki, which is um, a system of using specific sounds and visual symbols to move energy in the body. I'm actually a certified Reiki practitioner. I do it to myself. Um, I set, you know, intentions and things like that. You guys know I'm really into that. Um, there's also other ways of 
Um, we hold tension in different areas. This actually goes to the point beforehand, but I actually had TMJ for a really long time. Um, and that I believe was created through tension. Uh, but through acupuncture, I actually released that. So acupuncture, massage, those are all amazing. Um, and then another thing is adding in new thought patterns to your beliefs. And by doing that and by meditating and by, um, actually doing things that are active for yourself to create new thought patterns, to change up that neuroplasticity, we can have a whole new way of thinking in time. Um, another thing that really helps me too, is to not sit around too much. When I have a day off, it's really tempting for me to just sit around in my house and watch TV, but that really makes me depressed. And my brain will still tell me that it wants to do it. And it's not good for me. So even on days uh, that I need to work from home, I make sure to get out of the house to see people because if I've spent a whole day at home just sitting around, I get super depressed. So that activity, that um, moving, that seeing people getting out of my head and actually into my body is extremely beneficial. Uh, and seeing people and talking and laughing and just really being active and taking a proactive role in your life to make yourself feel better. So I hope this has been really helpful. I just want to go through a quick inquiry practice that you can do at home. We'll probably record its own episode for it, but I just want you to kind of become aware of how to do this. So it usually takes about 20 minutes that you won't be disturbed. I know not all of us have that um, luxury to take 20 minutes to do this. But even if like you're in your car, you can do this. Like you don't have to be sitting down and closing your eyes. You can do it anywhere. Uh, it's just getting back into the body. So sense your body, feel the surface you're sitting on, notice the point of contact your skin is making with your clothes. Um, be aware of your feet, be aware of your arms, your legs, your chest, your hands. Ask yourself what you're sensing and where you're sensing it. That's really important. And be specific. Do you feel tingling, pulsing, tightening? Do you feel warmth or coolness? Are the sensations in your chest, your back, your throat, your arms, your shoulders? Like I talked about the spiders and the sprite in my chest. That's my anxiety. You know, identify that for yourself. And you might feel them in a bunch of places, but start with the most compelling sensations and ask these questions. Does this have shape, volume, texture, color? How does it affect me to feel this? Is there anything difficult about feeling this? Is it familiar? How old do I feel when I feel this? Am I like five or seven? We can, we all have an inner child and we can see these things and feel these things at certain ages. And what happens as I feel it directly? Do I not think I can tolerate it? Um, and at this point, you can begin associating a sensation with a memory or a particular feeling like sadness or loneliness. You might have a reaction. You might want to go away. You might not want to feel it. Remember that this is a sensation that... the. <laughs> Remember that a sensation is an immediate primary experience located in the body, whereas a reaction is a secondary location. So the emotion that we feel or the re reactivity that we have is located in the mind. So these are two different things. So when you notice that you want to react to what you're experiencing, come back to your body, sense what's going on in your chest, your legs, your back, your belly. 
inquiry is really about allowing your direct and immediate experience to unfold. It's not about a story that you are constructing in your mind, which is anxiety. This is like actual reality of what is happening. So recognize, name, and disengage from the stories, the beliefs, or that voice, that mean negative voice in your head. If you feel small, collapsed, or powerless, it's usually a sign that the voice is present. The voice says things like, you will never be good enough, you will never change, you deserve to suffer, you are a failure, a bad person, unlovable, stupid, worthless, fat, and ugly. Any feelings of shame are a response to the voice or those emotions that we feel. You must learn to disengage from the voice or at least view it as a separate entity. Um, Its intent is to keep you circumscribed by its definition of safe and to maintain the status quo, which for some, some of us is to just feel anxious and to have that, you know, mean negative voice in our heads, which can really be our baseline for many of us. You can literally say things to it, like go away, back off, get away from me, keep it short, keep it simple. Um, We just have to find a way of disengaging and it usually comes with awareness. Whenever you notice that you're engaged in a reaction or are distracted, confused, numb, or out of touch, go back to sensing your body. Get out of your head and into your body. Pay attention to secrets, thoughts, or feelings you've censored. When those arise, be curious about them and be curious about what's hidden in them. Don't try to direct the inquiry with your mind. If you have an agenda or preferences, like you don't want to feel needy or angry or clingy or weird or whatever, the inquiry will not unfold if we try to control it. Just let what's happening, what's happening to happen. Um, like the Buddhists say, be like a child astonished at everything. And remember that this is a practice. It's not something that you get or accomplish. You don't get it to do something. You do it because you want to find want to find out who you are when you are not conditioned by your past or your ideas of what a good person is supposed to be. Oh my God, <laughs> that resonates with me so much. Each time you do it, you learn more. Each time you learn more, you continue the process of dismantling the stale, repetitive version of your ego self. With each inquiry, you have a chance to discover that you are not who you think yourself to be. What a relief. So that's just a quick overview of the practice. But like I've said so many times, this is all about becoming aware and by replacing new thoughts, by being curious to yourself, by being compassionate to yourself. And this isn't something that you do every once in a while. This is a constant thing that we do all the time if we have the courage, if we want to get better. So I know that was a lot of information. Let me know if you guys have any more questions or want to know any more information. I love to answer your questions and to get new ideas of what to talk about. This is truly my passion. And my goal with this is just to allow us to get out of our heads so we can do the work that we want to do in the world and we can be who we're meant to be. So thank you guys for listening and can't wait to talk to you the next time. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on social media at Ashley K. Pardo. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes.